It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. My voice has just gone so much deeper. I'm in Southern California awaiting for the birth of my first granddaughter, our first granddaughter. And my daughter and her husband just went to the hospital as I'm recording this. So uh, please, prayers up for those two. And uh, uh, prayers that they're good parents, not that they need a lot, but, you know, we can all... We can all use some, okay? So, and the the deep voice comes from just an onslaught of, boy, allergies. I It's unbelievable. I just, so anyway, there you have it. So that's why I sound a little bit different than what I sounded like when I did my interviews for this podcast. And uh, on this week's podcast, I've got two retired U.S. Marines, a Major Scott Husing retired, and he's the author of the book, Echo in Ramadi and Captain Mike Rosen, longtime listeners to the Victoria Taft show know that he is our man in Fallujah. And I've been talking to Mike about all things war for the better part of 17 years on the air. And uh, he sent me texts two Sundays ago, I guess it was when this whole thing in Afghanistan just blew up and he was white hot. He was so angry about what had happened, as many millions of Americans are. And now he's had a few days to reflect and we'll talk to him. But you might want to have your Kevlar earmuffs on for that because I told him you just say whatever's on your mind. And if it involves swear words, that's okay. It's a podcast. And we don't have any FCC rules on a podcast. So I just want you to know that that's coming. And let's just be honest here. As I mentioned in the last podcast about, you know, any party planner of moms who planned better birthday parties for their six-year-olds uh, better than the State Department did for this so-called, uh, what's a bug out? It, it's not even a withdrawal. It's just a bug out of Afghanistan. I, I came to think, you know, it, maybe more people would understand this. The party planner for Barack Obama's 60th birthday party could have planned this bug out of Afghanistan better. The killing has already started. The genocide is underway, uh, according to reports from the ground. Those are always things that may change because, as we all know, the fog of war and the first reports of such things are always false or Big portions of them are, which negate the whole thing. So just know that that's what's coming out. The reports are that multiple uh, Afghan National Army officials, special operators that worked with the U.S. forces have been rounded up and summarily murdered. That is what is coming out. And of course, entire families of people who uh, threw their lot in with the Americans and helped fight on their side have... um, have also been rounded up. And this is a genocide. Christians are being rounded up, so it is legit what you would define as a a genocide. Also, uh, the story that came out, I think it was, let's see, today's, yeah, so just a couple of days ago, there was a story about uh, the Wall Street Journal Journal reporting, and I um, heavily borrowed their reporting and and added a little bit to my story for PJ Media. Uh, They reported that an interpreter who helped save Joe Biden's life in 2008, has been left behind. I mean, it is gobsmacking to see the very, very least. So, you know, my podcast uh, keeps an eye on Antifa 
And I know that that's a relative new thing for a lot of people. In fact, I'd never heard of them until 2016, honestly. But I had been following the left in the city of Portland for my program there and had been doing that since the late 90s and early aughts and saw that the, you know, the four o'clock Friday afternoon drum circles had morphed into occupations, which had morphed into uh, we hate Jews and and morphed into we hate war, understandable. Uh, but of course, the the war that they conceived of and that which they were opposed to were different than what we might consider. So these people I've been keeping an eye on for a long time. And I know for longtime listeners to the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft, that's the full name. That's why I keep saying my name over and over again, because that's the full name have uh, heard the Antifa versus Mike Strickland story. We did an 18-part podcast chronicling the story of Mike Strickland being attacked by Antifa. It will leave you gobsmacked. I want you to go back and listen to those when an off hour. And I think we're going to spin those out as a separate podcast. So again, I know Kenny was talking about doing that early on, and we may do that at some point in the future, just to have a standalone for that story. Now, in the last two weeks, there has been a shootout in downtown Portland. Mentioned it in the last pod, I think. 64 or 65 year old man, and he had a shootout with unknown perpetrators. There were reportable, reportedly, uh, she tried to say, uh, four to seven shots fired. And the man, the 65 year old man, shot one time. And not sure what started the whole thing, but of course, as we know, the 65-year-old was the one arrested. And I mean, you can't just shoot people on the street. Nobody was hurt in this particular incident. And I'm not sure what prompted him to do that. But we have also known that Antifa has done checkpoints. And indeed, on this Sunday morning, what they decided to do was to go and try to so-called counter-protest a right-wing rally, which the right-wingers moved 10 miles away, I think it is, to another part of Portland. But they decided that uh, the Antifa did, they uh, were talking on Twitter. And yes, Antifa still has Twitter accounts. Donald Trump, not Twitter. Antifa, all kinds of Twitter accounts where they plan their assaults on law-abiding citizens. You may not like the right-wingers involved, uh, you know, the, the church people and those folks, and you may not like them. And, and then their security force is oftentimes Patriot Prayer or Proud Boys, uh, and they're there because they know Antifa will show up. And Or if Antifa doesn't show up, great. When Antifa doesn't show up, there's no violence. Have you ever noticed that? Be that as it may, so this, um, that what happened was they were all over Portland. They were uh, slugging old ladies, uh, spraying old ladies, uh, kicking dogs, whatever. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but only slightly. And so that's what happened. And it is against this backdrop that this man shot at these what appear to be two Antifa guys, as Andy No pointed out in the last podcast. Uh, this um, There were two Antifa guys. I went back and looked at the videos. I said I would. And yeah, there are two Antifa guys that are in black block. That's how we know uh, who were appear to be the guy shooting back or shooting first or shooting whatever. And, and you know, the person taking the video is a person of the left, I believe. So it's entirely possible that he only had the guy shooting back at Antifa. In other words, that is to say, um, you hear four shots. 
reporters on the ground heard seven. My guess is that we're not seeing the entire video. That's all I'll say. I, I don't know other than that. And a lot of times you'll see these these videos on social media and whatnot, and they're all edited, and they're just vignettes of things. And you never really know the full story. And um, so I just want you to know that. Uh, but there's some things you can tell. Okay, you, you know. Oh, he's committing uh, violence. He's That's an act of violence. Ah, we should probably call the police. Ha ha, police said, hands off. We're not doing anything. So anyway, a couple of stories bubbling up this week about how Antifa is made up of not just welfare, food stamp, disability collecting mama's boys in their basements, but how many of them work in offices of politicians and city hall and other government entities, hospitals, um, Andy has pointed out in his book, Unmasked, and of course, your government schools. So recently, I wrote a piece over at PJ Media about the Antifa summer camp for middle schoolers. Yeah, you heard that right. The Antifa summer camp for middle schoolers. Antifa sets up summer camps to teach what they, it's a re-education camp. And uh, basically it's to teach quote unquote social justice. And uh, and the name of the camp is the Budding Roses, the Budding Roses, like a bud of roses. And it's a play on Portland being the city of roses. But beyond that, it really means that this is an offshoot of the Antifa franchise of Portland, known as Rose City Antifa. So Budding Roses, parents send their kids, they choose to send their kids to this re-education camp to go over radical critical theory, as well as materials. They have planned pedagogical exercises with lectures and practicum. They have them do stuff. And speaking of practicum, check this out. This is this falls right in. In Sacramento, in a school where Gavin Newsom will never send his kids, there's a teacher who gives the kids extra credit for protesting and rioting with him because he's a member of Antifa. As he told James O'Keefe in Project Veritas, an undercover video, this is good, he has only 180 days to turn his students into revolutionaries. He's got a picture of Mao and the Antifa flag on the... Antifa is the biggest fascist organization around. Why schools haven't caught wind of that and told these people to take down the doggone flags is, is beyond me. But nevertheless, it kind of makes you wonder. You'd think they'd learn something. But as COVID has taught us, they don't actually read science. They don't actually read stuff. They just take somebody else's word for it. Haven't you found out? Haven't you ever noticed? And I'll just take a little flyer here. But I, you know, I used to think that my liberal cohorts, uh, who my worthy liberal adversaries in all kinds of discussions and debate and that sort of thing, I thought that they were so smart. And I just used to give them credit for being so smart and being, you know, reading and and knowing and, uh, you know, the usual stuff you think when you accord someone the uh, label of being smart. Well, then I found out that there really isn't much there there. They don't really have a basis on which they place their fundamental views that make sense. 
where, for example, this guy, this teacher, which you, whom you'll hear from, has a picture of Mao on his wall in his classroom in a school that Gavin Newsom will, by the way, never send his kids. And Mao is the perpetrator of the deaths of 100 million people on his watch. His communist belief system has led to the deaths of 100 million people. Uh, Hello? And we've got a picture of that dude? Oh, it's because he's a revolutionary and because he believes in communism. We like his version of communism better than we like the the ones, the Russian uh, communist, Bolsheviks, etc., Oh, okay. Oh, well, that makes that better because they killed a bunch of people too. Remember the Ukrainian Joseph Stalin's Ukrainian uh, starvation uh, diet. Be that as it may, they let this stuff go because guess what? Schools don't learn, and these guys aren't that bright, by the way. You know, hey, fist up that justice fist, yeah. So we're so much smarter than everybody else. Oh yeah, you're a racist. You're a fascist. You're this. You're that. Oh, okay. I guess I am. I I don't want anybody calling me names. Bull hockey. Come on. So he told James O'Keefe and Project Veritas in an undercover video that he has the 180 days to turn these kids, uh, you know, someone else's kids into revolutionaries. And uh, James put the lowlights of this guy's discussions with an undercover reporter at the very front of his video. And then, of course, he goes to tell it. And then he also always posts the raw vid on his website. So you always get the context because the the left's favorite thing is to say, oh, well, you know, he was edited. It was uh, it was uh, out of context. Let me tell you something. Every television story, every radio story, Every story is always edited for for clarity. It's edited for brevity. It's it's edited for any number of reasons. If you take a small piece of an interview that you want to put in your your radio story, and I know that the best because I've did that. I've done that for who knows how long. It's edited. Of course, it's edited. Duh. I mean, so to say it's edited doesn't mean it's taken out of context. Doesn't mean that is being uh, changed transmogrified into something else. No, no, it is edited. And that means nothing unless you're NBC News and blow up a gas tank, okay? Or you're Donald Trump and then you lie. So here he is. His name is Gabriel Guype. Please note, when he was called out by a kid in the classroom for, what the hell, buddy? I mean, what are you doing here? He blamed the kid and said, well, <laughs> I mean, maybe you just ought to uh, re-examine your assumptions, you little fascist. Listen. So, like, yeah, when when there is, like, right-wing rallies and stuff, then we, like, we'll create an opposition to that. Yeah. Beautiful. Where would he go to connect with some of these organizations? Like, they... no, I, I post a calendar oh, every okay, week. Awesome. And then, so, so like, they, it's, and I do it for extra credit. So they get points for doing it. Like, and so that encourages them to do it. <laughs> and I've, I've had, like, students show for, like, protests, community events, you know, tabling, food distribution, all sorts of, sorts of things. They, when they go, they take pictures, they write up a reflection, that's their extra credit. Like, I, I have an Antifa flag on my on my wall. Um, and a student complained about that, and, and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. Well, 
this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable, so if you feel uncomfortable, I, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't be aligning with the, the values that it, this is antithetical to. So the Cultural Revolution in the 60s was fixing the problem that came about after the economic one. It ultimately failed, right? Um, there was a lot of excesses. People were definitely, like, you know, shot in the streets that probably shouldn't have been. Oh, okay. They're teaching your kids because it's not about Western civilization. It's not about education. It's about their revolutionary beliefs based on Maoism, communism. And I don't want you to forget that. As the head superintendent of the L.A. school district said this week, we care less about the kids learning how to add, subtract, divide, and multiply than we do about kids learning this wonderful this wonderful lesson during COVID, which, by the way, was taught by their parents. Let's not forget that. Well, then, in an, a teacher in another school that Gavin Newsom will never send his kids to. This one's in Costa Mesa. It's very nice. Uh, it's a Back Bay High School in Orange County where there's a huge contingent of God-fearing parents, sons, daughters. They send their kids to the military. And of course, Orange County uh, will often have people involved in, you know, reality shows. It's very posh. It's very rich. It's very well. Uh, it's very well educated. Except in this classroom, where this pop tart, Kristen Pitson, put a video out on her TikTok account. Well, that was a smart one. See, I told you these people are just not that smart. <laughs> oh, well, let's see. What should I say on TikTok today? Oh, I know. Let's talk about the contempt in which I hold my students and their parents and their belief and love of America. Oh, OK. That's a great idea. I'll put that on social media. That's going to work out great for me, because after all, doesn't everyone agree with me? Doesn't everyone? By the way, TikTok, the Chinese social media company. Remember, it all came down from China that we do not allow our military to use. Why? Because China hoovers up all the info. And that's one of the reasons why Trump said no TikTok in the country unless it's purchased and owned by an American company. But let's not forget, it's probably a deal with both companies and China. And China's military and the Communist Party runs everything in China. That's why there's a story recently about wherever, whatever happened to Jack Ma. Oh, Jack Ma learned, guess what? What happens when you pretend you're the boss and it's not the head of the Communist Chinese Party or President Xi? I guess they're the same people, but nevertheless. Okay, so... Pitson on TikTok announced that uh, she removed the American flag from her classroom. And when asked by one of the kids of the God-fearing, America-loving parents where it went, she lied and said she didn't know. (laughs) Oh, there's more. Oh, maybe I'll just have you, you know, there's another flag you can pledge allegiance to. It's the gay pride flag. Oh, okay, you Nazi. In her TikTok video, just did I say a Nazi? Yeah, these people are totalitarians and they are autocrats and they comport mostly with people who love that, i.e. the socialist Nazis. Makes sense, right? I mean, I, I hate to go all Godwin's law on you, but for crying out loud, there's no other explanation. 
They think they're smarter because, of course, they have better intentions than people who believe that others should probably work for themselves and do for themselves. But they're better because they want to use your money for their charity. Okay, I just got way off the rails there, but nevertheless. So she mocked the kids and the parents and noted that the flag, the American flag, made her uncomfortable. And she said so in a conspiratorial uh, stage whisper. She teaches your kids. You think that this is just happening in these two schools? (laughs) Come on now. KTLA TV got the video before she deleted it. Here's part of their package. My room does not have a flag. It used to be there, but I took it down during COVID because it made me uncomfortable. And um, I packed it away and I don't know where, and I haven't found it yet. (laughs) In the post, the Back Bay High School teacher then goes on to say how she addressed a student's concern about the way the Pledge of Allegiance was being conducted in her class. My kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got to find it. In the meantime, I tell this kid, we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to. And he like looks around and he goes, Oh, that one? She points to the LGBTQ pride flag. Today, some pride flags could be seen around the campus. Several local women were placing American flags outside the school. We just heard that the school was short some flags, so we decided that we'd help them out, put some flags to show our patriotism. We think that the high school students really need to be aware that last week there were 13 military members that died. Michelle Vaughn describes herself as a military mom with a son in the armed services. She has this message for the teacher in that video. I'd like to share with her if she doesn't know about the importance of respecting the flag. We assume the school district, Costa Mesa School District said, oh, uh, or Newport School District said, uh, we assure you that we take these matters like this seriously. Showing respect for our nation's flag is an important value that we instill in our students and expectation of our employees. Okay, sure. We'll see. We'll find out. Anyway, switching gears to the Afghanistan Dan debacle. Hey, by the way, uh, in addition to not being able to to say it correctly, but I just want to know. Now, remember, I just talked about how they're supposed to be smarter than we are. So how the hell did this happen in Afghanistan? Just a question. First up, infantry major Scott Husing retired. The author of Echo and Ramadi on his take in Afghanistan, you can find Scott at echoandramadi.com. Very interesting. Scott Husing is the author of Echo in Ramadi, the firsthand story of U.S. Marines in Iraq's deadliest city. Scott A. Husing, retired U.S. Marine Corps Infantry Major on the Adult in the Room podcast. Welcome, Scotty. How you doing? Yeah. Okay, so you planned, well, you were in both theaters, major theaters of war, I suppose. Technically, Iraq and Afghanistan are, I guess they're in the same theater, but you were in Afghanistan and Iraq, and you helped plan hundreds of missions during your 24-year-long career. So my question is, how well did the Biden administration plan this mission, Scotty? Well, it's not just the Biden administration. Uh, It's the result of not one, not two, but four presidencies that really bear the responsibility for the gross end of this war. And 
let's be honest, I don't think that the plan was ever to leave wholesale. And I, I wrote an article when I left Iraq in 2007, speaking to this point, because one of the, the biggest failures is we have failed, especially at the administrative level, to be poor students of our history. We did not learn the lessons from World War II, where after we waged war in, in those two theaters, in the Pacific and the European theaters, we left a presence. And that type of stability in the region is something that really continues the vision that we have when we enter these countries. And they don't all have to be Europe's. Uh, and, and certainly Afghanistan is never going to be Sweden. It's just not. It's not practical because the culture is so vastly different. But because we didn't leave that presence behind, we're going to continue to fail to make the same mistakes. Just recently, through this whole turn of events unfolding in Afghanistan, as we uh, saw the evacuation of the remaining American citizens, TCNs, and military personnel, former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta was on the tube, and he was talking about when we go back to Afghanistan. I, and I thought to myself, go back. Why did we pull out? Why did we give up a, a, a million dollar embassy that we had ground on? Because it, those are the types of failures that are the things that bother veterans who served. Because let me say it straight. None of us sit around in the veteran community, those guys in my tribe, and cry in our beer, Victoria, about woe is me, all the blood we shed and all the treasure we expended is for naught because it wasn't what we were doing at the tactical level, kicking in doors and killing bad guys. We do that for the Marines on our left and right. We don't do it for politicians. We do it for our families. So we uphold that core ethos to remain honorable and courageous and committed to what we stand for to defend this country so there's a lot of failures at the administrative level and the strategic level. And what you see recently this month on the eve of the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 is the, both the military the military's got some culpability in this too. So they're not going to get off that easy. But the administration level who gives the orders and directions to guide the military, they are using terms in their current vernacular like evacuation or exfiltration those aren't ta those are tactical terms but it's not the proper term because they had a plan in place obama had a plan in place trump had a plan in place to do a correct well-planned time phase withdrawal that's the term that we use at the at the and the military circles is a withdrawal and that just has so many logistical concerns uh, embedded in that word problem is it was executed poorly I, I don't know where the failures were i don't know what level the failures were but you see the result of some of those failures was 13 u.s service members were killed four days ago in afghanistan and it was a tragic event because that should have never happened we should have never been boiled down to one singular choke point at kabul airfield when we had control of several where we had some reach within the country, where we could have had multiple uh, aerial points of departure and been able to flow people out easier. And it's just a really galling to me to think that we've got so much talent in our U.S. military at every level. I, I, I just haven't really figured out today where that breakdown was. Well, 
some people should lose their jobs over it. And if the military thought this was such a bad idea, which it clearly, obviously was, why did no one resign in protest? Well, it, you speak to leadership, and and it's it, it's a double edged sword. You could resign in protest, but imagine a military with all of the talent, all of the training we give our service members. If every single service member didn't agree with the orders of the president and just came out and protested, what do you think would happen in the military? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. It would, but it somebody would, it needed would to. Nobody, somebody, Scotty, somebody needed to stand up and say, "Hey, Mr. President, you are absolutely wrong on this. Well, I this think is we not, had a good. This is a shit show." I think we had a really great example of that, and he did it in the smart way. It, it was former, uh, you know, Secretary of Defense, you know, General James Mattis, uh, and he, mm-hmm. here's a guy. Uh, and and I'm not saying this because I'm biased because I like Jim Mattis because he's a Marine, but here's a guy that really understood culture. And his ability to translate that with other sage military and diplomats that were bolstering the Trump administration, they didn't want to listen to that. And I think there was so much friction caused between those personalities that that is what that might have been the impetus to why Jim Mattis decided to step step aside. And that culture in Afghanistan is something that, again, we need to learn our lessons. 20 years. Okay, 20 years is a long, long time. Some of these Marines and soldiers that died this week were 20. They've been alive as long as this war has been going on. And if the Afghan people can't learn what right looks like over two decades, I think we really need to ask ourselves some more questions. And is it worth it? Because at the end of the day, too, the biggest failure from the administrative level, and I'm, I'm, this is to all four presidencies, never, ever defined what winning was. They didn't define what winning was to the guys kicking in doors at the tactical level. And they certainly didn't define what winning was to the nation and how winning in that country in Afghanistan. We have to talk about Afghanistan specifically because Iraq and Afghanistan are apples and oranges. What winning meant to the nation? What were we going to get out of it? How did it enhance and support our national security? Mm-hmm. And because they failed to do that, and it is a failure a gross failure. I think that we're going to find ourselves back in that region. Uh, It's just a matter of fact, because there's so many other competing interests between a a lot of sword rattling with Iran, China, Russia. I think Russia's learned their mistakes there. So all of those, all of those adversaries of ours are, are really enjoying this moment in the sun right now for what they'd love to rubber stamp a red, failure for the United States, especially with what you see on social media and mainstream media with the the Taliban rising back up, wearing American uniforms and equipment and some of the uh, other material that we left behind, which, again, is another another issue we should talk about. But ever seen anything like that on that scale before? I, I I am not so much concerned with the the larger equipment. I know we've seen some. They were talking about Army Chinooks in this hangar. They weren't Chinooks. They were dilapidated CH forty sixes, which are a smaller version of the Chinook. Uh, they were in disrepair. I don't think that they can fly them. I don't think the vehicles will last. They're flying Blackhawks right now. There, there was one video of a Blackhawk. I don't know 
who owned that. It doesn't look like it was painted like a U.S. Blackhawk. So again, you can't ah. really you can't really digest everything that you see on on the TV. Um, you know, there's sure. there's thousands of Blackhawk helicopters around the world. Um, anybody can buy. Well, you can buy one on eBay. Uh, it's a fact. So I'm sure they're getting plenty of support some, for, from some other uh, third party actors uh, that are supporting the Taliban, that are supporting ISIS. But the part system, too, I don't think that's a concern. Really, for a guy like me, the lower level stuff, the, the night vision devices, the thermal optics, yep. the, all of those things that obviously were abandoned and not destroyed in a proper manner because they were under this August 31st deadline, that haste was really something that I'm concerned with. I mean, going back into Afghanistan right now, fighting these guys again, who are wearing the same level four body armor that we fight and protect ourselves with, that's a concern. It just makes our job that much tougher. And they feel empowered, uh, emboldened, and really kind of more superhuman than they are when they go toe-to-toe with these guys. And let's not uh, dilute the fact these are good fighters. They're very well trained. When you look at the videos on TV right now, it's almost eerie. The way they carry themselves, the way they hold their weapons, their weapons presentations, mm-hmm. the, their fingers straighten trigger off the control. trigger. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, really kind of disturbing because uh, they're taking a page out of our playbook. So it really Who trained those people. There's a, there's a lot of people involved in that. There's uh, obviously there's there's mercenaries that get paid. Uh, the Chechen fighters uh, have been uh prevalent in the area. Russians have been prevalent in the area. I'm sure Iran is footing the bill for a lot of this to get the training done. And that's a concern too, is the the training havens for these terrorist organizations, for all of these Islamic extremist organizations in that area. Now they do have another massive training base that they're going to be able to conduct operations and conduct training and planning in an unfettered space. Because Giving up Bagram, smart move or dumb one? No, it's idiotic, in my opinion. I, I don't think we should have ever left. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I think we should have had a presence. Yeah, why in that couldn't region. that just be an honor? Sorry to interrupt, but I just how is that 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 was not a good idea to leave back a small force and have this as a rotating uh, place where troops come in and out? I mean, what the hell? How, why when, is that so when bad? Private, when private Taft graduated boot camp. She should have been talking to her friends and said, hey, guess where I got orders to? Uh, Camp Al-Assad or Camp Kabul. This is where I'm going. Just like we did after World War II where we sent people to Okinawa or we sent people to Germany. We, we gained the ground. We maintained it and we established that presence. And I'll tell you a short anecdotal story. Well, it's not anecdotal. I was being bombarded by phone calls and interviews and watching the media to try and stay current on this. And I just hit my culminating point. I shut everything off and I grabbed a book off the shelf of my studio. I didn't even care what it was. I just wanted to go out, sit by my pool and read. And the book was Jack London, a, a call of the wild. And you know, that book hmm. was printed like in 1908. And as I read through it, there was a passage in there, but you know, it's a story about this dog. He's a his powerful sled dog and he gets, taken to run run the races and in Canada and but as he's being carted through and he's he's choked out with this collar and, and a rope around his neck he's thrown in these crates and he's put on these trains and he's beat down and finally he gets to the guy that's gonna 
ultimately handle the dog and he gives him a really good beat down with a stick and buck the dog says to himself i will never be able to win against a man a human with a stick in his hand but if i keep my head down and i do what they say one day i'll be able to do what i want and essentially i was reading this and i'm thinking because i was bombarded by all these events it's such a metaphor for what is going on in our, in afghanistan in that culture because the rule of law is the guy with the biggest stick wins. So now, effectively, what we've done is we've not only taken the stick out of the country, we've taken the man out of the country. So now we've got all these dogs that can just run around and bite whoever they want. And that's the culture. That's the enemy we've faced for the past 20 years. And we've had a pretty good lid on that pressure cooker. And again, there's this sine wave of war and peace in these countries where you have a lack of control, a, a lack of or non-existence of democracy, and that allows people to do what they want on their own terms. And we've really let them off the leash in that regard. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, they left a bunch behind. <laughs> Honest to God, could there be worse optics? I mean, you left a bunch of buses full of women and children and, and you left a bunch of the dogs, the security dogs that helped you. Some of them made it out. I saw some photos of the dogs sitting in actual airline seats, which was pretty cute, poignant. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know mothers who plan birthday parties better than this. It was a little disheartening, too. I was getting some texts and email from former commanders, uh, guys that I grew up through in the ranks with. And, you know, one of them said to me that, just flat out, Scotty, you, you and I could have planned this withdrawal in a, in, in a paper bag, like, you know, at lunch. It, it was just that poorly executed. Uh, I don't think people were following that. And and again, this this is a, a hit on the Biden administration specifically for really kowtowing to the demands of the Taliban and, and holding hard and fast on the August 31st deadline. I think that that was a huge, huge mistake. And Again, you know, here's a great lesson from World War II when General Douglas MacArthur had to leave the Philippines, you know, his famous quote, which he actually gave from Australia for non-students of history. He said, mm -hmm. I shall return. And even though we just pulled all of these American citizens out, there's nothing stopping us from going back. Because to anyone listening to this show, I will say this. Sleep well at night. Know that we have the best and brightest young men and women leading this country and the nation's military. We are the most powerful fighting force on the planet. And as a guy that is responsible for training a lot of the men and women who are currently serving, currently wearing the uniform, standing on the rails of these ships, carrying the weapons that they do, I sleep well at night and I have full faith and confidence in them. Where I'm lacking and my confidence wanes is our elected officials. So to those listening, and especially to my veterans who want to perseverate over this, send the right people to run for office and then vote them in office. I think we've seen a real uh, rise of, of veterans in the House and Senate, guys willing to run for office, guys that know about leadership, guys that know about sacrifice and what it means to take care of those you're entrusted to. I just hope that their terms in office, they'll remember that and it won't get diluted by the, the, the quagmire and, and 
sucking them down into DC politics, but I, I have a lot of, a lot of hope. I, I'm, I'm not an eternal optimist by the definition, but I am a very positive person. And I think that despite all of the bad things that have come out of this particular war in Afghanistan, I'd like to think too, that for all the veterans, especially who think that maybe what they did didn't matter, they're wrong. It did yeah. matter. It absolutely mattered to the Marines and soldiers that we fought alongside. It absolutely matters to the families who lost their sons and daughters who remain living an entire life with that loss. It absolutely matters. And we won at the tactical level. We accomplished our mission. The people that failed us were the general level officers, the flag officers, and our elected officials. Those were the ones that really punted this through the grandstands of life. And, and those are the people that need to be held accountability and stand up and say, we should have done this. Just yesterday, yeah. just yesterday, when the war officially ended and General McKenzie, who I have no idea who this guy is, is on a 60-inch monitor in the Department of State press room giving the address. The president didn't even make an address yesterday. President Biden made no, no address. He sent a so I was a little disappointed with that, uh, among others. But I was equally disappointed that none of the service branch commanders, or at least General Miley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, didn't take the opportunity to at least get in front of the camera and say, to all of our veterans, I want to thank you for your service. I know that this has been a tough war. You fought well. You fought with pride. And you should all be justifiably proud of what you've done. The sacrifices of your brothers and sisters in Afghanistan were not in vain. There's going to be wars in the future, and we're going to have to train and serve our country and step up to those challenges when they come and just go on and really promote the fact that what you do when you raise your right hand and serve this country at age 18 in most cases, that it's not for a losing cause. That has to be hammered through by those types of leaders. And in and, and, and the absence of that, the absence of that is just galling. Question. The folks from the Vietnam era never got over the fact that they were yanked back and there was no victory in what they'd done on all the sacrifice. And our men and women in the military who served in Afghanistan and other and elsewhere, they saw what they saw. They know what they saw in Kabul. And that was not winning. That was a loss. That was a tail between their legs, exfil by a bunch of scared State Department officials who hadn't bothered to figure out what the hell they were doing before saying that we were going to get out and uh, the end. And then they did it a day early. Um, so my question to you is, uh, how do you deal with people, and I know you deal with people with PTSD and that sort of thing, how, 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 how are they going to take what they saw on TV? It is very unique and, and, and tragic in a sense that we have one more thread that in the rope that binds us to our Vietnam veterans now because of the similarities of such a protracted war in a country where winning was never defined. And all of the soldiers and, and Marines that fought both in Vietnam and Afghanistan have that shared understanding now uh, to the 
veterans who may be struggling with those questions of the utility of it all, the, the meaning of it all. Again, I remind them that they're winners. They're the ones that did the fighting. Uh, the people that failed and lost the fight were the administrators, were, the, were the, those four presidents. They lost it for us. We didn't lose it. Uh, there's no mistaking that. They spent months and years, in some cases, away from their families. They took bullets in their flesh. They bled on foreign soil. They didn't lose anything. And I think that mm-hmm. if they're struggling with those effects, unlike our Vietnam veterans, we're in a situation now in America, and, I, and as the executive director of SaveTheBrave.org, who connects veterans who are struggling with post-traumatic stress from combat, I'm very proud to be a part of that solution where this generation of veterans, and even our Vietnam veterans, are they, they're out on our trips, our offshore fishing trips, or these motorcycle rides we do as I rode my bike across the country again this year, coast to coast. Mm. There's a lot of of resources for our veteran community that just didn't exist 50 years ago after Vietnam closed down. So there's this, this love within the community. There's this great power of human connection, which I always write about. I always talk about it. It sounds like hyperbole, but it's not this. It's just an amazing connection that we share as veterans and the willingness to take care of each other when others won't. And, as I rode across the country this year to prevent veteran suicide, I rode 3,161 miles from, from uh, San Diego to Miami. Wow. One of my neighbors said to me, why are the veterans always having to do fundraisers like this? Why, are the, why won't the government do this as big as it is in the private sector with all its wealth? I said, because we take care of our own first. We are people of action and we're unwilling to yeah. wait for others to give us a handout because that's not we what we want. That's not what we try and do at Save the Brave. We try and offer these events in, in a safe space where people can connect and heal and then empower our veteran tribe to say, hey, man, if you're struggling, if you – there was a guy, a Navy corpsman that came out and rode with me. I picked him up in Tucson. He rode all the way to El Paso, Texas with me. And this guy got on camera and he was, he was like, I've had a gun in my mouth a couple times. He goes, but things like this are the whole reason I stay moving. They're the whole reason I get on my bike and connect with you guys because that's what I that's that's what keeps me moving. That's what keeps me moving forward. So I think we're in a really good position to continue to do that. So it, it's something I'm very proud of. We've been doing it for six years at SaveTheBrave.org, and we've helped connect thousands and thousands of veterans over the past six years. That's laudable. Excellent work. I have one last thing I wanted to ask you about. Donald Rumsfeld, the former SecDef, used to say, personnel is policy. The person in charge of this pullout in Afghanistan was a guy who botched Benghazi, who made the Iran uh, deal, nuclear arms deal, such as it was with pallets of shrink-wrapped money, a thing, and was put in charge of this debacle he wanted to pull out in 2014. Uh, totally understand the sentiment, but he didn't have a plan. And apparently seven years later, he still didn't have a plan. So this guy, this Secretary of State, Blinken, was put in charge of this. Don't you think Joe Biden ought to fire this dude? And the question Absolutely. is, the question is, question is, Joe Biden put that guy in charge of this. He knew what he was getting. Go. The, it, 
if I started talking about the State Department and all of the gross ineptitude in that organization, it is such a laissez-faire organization. They are not people of action. They're diplomats. Uh, they're not war fighters. I, I don't understand how they think. I don't agree with the uh, the time with which it takes them to make a decision, the, the planning process to really affect anything. And anytime things go bad at a diplomatic mission, at an embassy or anything, who do they send in to fix it? The Marines. Who protects the State Department and embassies abroad? The Marines. So these guys are, are just so unaccountable each and every time. I, I, I mean, when was the last Secretary of State fired? Who was it? When did we? When was the last Secretary of State that fired? I don't know. That's a question to you, I guess, or, or whatever. Oh, I don't to, know. Who was Google. it? Do you have an answer? Who, I don't know. Who's the last Secretary of State to be fired? Was like, any Secretary of State? Hmm. Okay, I you think keep there talking. Was, I think there was one under the busted Bush administration, but I don't, I don't know. But that organization, again, when, when you're talking about you know, what oh, was, Tillerson. It, Trump fired uh, Tillerson. Rex Tillerson. Yeah, it was Rex Tillerson. Um, and he's been in hiding Trump down in te- Texas now for years. <laughs> yeah, he's been in hiding uh-huh. down in Texas for years now on his sitting on his million dollar uh, nest egg. But yeah. uh, the the thing that was equally disturbing was uh, someone came out. I'm, I'm not sure who was uh, that. Maybe it was a White House press secretary. Um said that the diplomatic mission is going to continue in Afghanistan. And I thought, what a soup sandwich. The diplomatic mission is going to continue. (laughs) You cannot have diplomacy in any region without security first. You absolutely can't. And for Americans who are imbued with this mindset of everything, fast food, fast cash, uh, fast democracy, that's what they want. And it takes longer than 20 years to establish it. I'm not talking American democracy or French democracy. It's democracy. There's only one flavor. And to think that we could infuse that and and, and, and really inject that in a country like Afghanistan with their 4,000-year existence, that's just gross American hubris at its best. Because at the end of the day, we've spent billions of dollars on programs over there through USAID, the State Department, mm-hmm. for a lot of things that the Afghan people probably didn't even want. They probably yeah. didn't even want it, but we've been jamming it down their throats instead of focusing on the more important issues. Because the other thing about democracy is, and I'm no economist, but without security, you can't have you can't have administration. You can't establish democracy. Democracies cannot flourish without economic throughput. Without the economic throughput and having the right people in the right jobs in the right place for the right reason, that notion, that dream of democracy will never, ever grow. And I think that we've seen that over the past 20 years in Afghanistan is we never sent the right people to do the right jobs. And that's a huge failure. And we have to learn the lessons of this war. We have to be writing about this. We have to be sharing that with this. Just as our Vietnam veterans told us about the problems they had in Vietnam, this generation of war fighters has to share those losses, not just the glorious battles and the wins and the medals and the ribbons and all that stuff. They have to share the losses so we can be better prepared for the next contingency that comes down the pipe because it's going to come, trust me. Yeah. Do you feel safer or less safe now that we've just bugged out of Afghanistan? And left the Taliban with all our weaponry and material. I, I feel safe. I ha- also have a lot of faith that despite the talking heads that you see at, at the administrative level, there's there's a lot of sage 
intelligent people that are running our intelligence apparatus. There's a lot of, there are still plenty of badass military generals and leaders out there that will serve as a human roadblock for anyone that wants to derail the train. And that's an, an important metaphor that I just learned from my, my good friend, Sebastian Younger, who wrote an amazing book called Freedom, where he walks the train tracks of Maryland to Pennsylvania and he sees this 300 ton beast rolling past him and he wonders what could stop this train and he thinks to himself for a while for the answer and then it comes in another train it's another train going the exact opposite direction at the same mm -hmm. speed the same weight and I asked Sebastian when he was on my show um, who's the other train and he mm -hmm. says there, there isn't another train there's no other country out there right now that can stop the momentum and the power that America has. But we did talk after the show and, you know, there probably are some, there probably are some splinters on the track that'll, that'll make it hop the rails. And we have to be mindful of those. We have to look to the future and, and identify those friction points um, so we can eliminate them um, from the path that this great country is moving down. And, and that's a, that's an important step. You know, I was going to ask you earlier, and this is, I promise the last one, bugging out of Afghanistan the way we did, the ignominious way in which we did this. Who benefits? Well, the Taliban benefits. They got their way. And the one thing they've always had on their side, just like when the Russians went in, time was always on their side. Uh, despite the vast advances in, in technology and, and satellite imagery and thermal optics and weaponry, they knew at the they could use that against us and wait us out by going to ground tactics, rudimentary tactics, and just waiting us out. They have no they have no aspirations of moving out anywhere other than Afghanistan. So I think that they they definitely benefited from this. They got in, they got what they wanted. They wanted their country back, and they got it. Scott Husing. The book is Echo and Ramadi, the firsthand story of U.S. Marines in Iraq's deadliest city. Thanks for coming on the Adult in the Room podcast. Absolutely. Appreciate Thanks it. for having me. Now it's time for your Kevlar earmuffs. I told Marine Captain Mike Rosen, retired to let her rip, and he did. I've been talking to him for 17 years on the, on the radio and now on the podcast. Hold on. Captain Mike Rosen, USMC, retired, joined the ranks of the Marine Corps after the 1983 Beirut-Lebanon barracks bombing. And he graduated into civilian life not too awfully long ago, retiring from the Marine Corps. And he's with me on the Adult in the Room podcast. I should probably mention at this juncture that he did logistics in Iraq and was involved in the Second Battle of Fallujah, Operation Phantom Fury. He's uh, heretofore known as Our Man in Fallujah, Mike Rosen. Welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast. How are you? I'm doing fine, Victoria. It's good to be here, and it's good to talk to you again. It's been a while. It's uh, been a while, except that we've been texting back and forth after the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban by design by the U.S. government. And I wanted to get your reaction to that and ask you if you could tell me if there is anything more poorly planned that you've ever seen 
in your entire life? Um, yeah, it's uh, by far the most ridiculous uh, plan that I've ever seen executed. Uh, and it's the most disappointing plan that I've ever seen executed, uh, probably next to maybe the Bay of Pigs. Um, uh, it's, I don't know, I'm, there's so many things that run through our, uh, my mind and my fellow veterans. Uh, I work with a bunch of them. I, uh, you know, my sister's a retired Marine Chief Warrant Officer. My brother-in-law's a retired Sergeant Major, uh, both of them out of the Marine Corps. And I was just talking with my sister last night. Um, she's, she's disgusted. Uh, like many of us, uh, it brings back a lot of memories that, you know, we had suppressed, uh, put in the back memory banks and it's, it's infuriating to know that something so simple as, uh, doing a drawdown can be done methodically it can be done safely, and there's always a danger that you know you're going to have some you know idiot that wants to go see his virgins and blow himself up. But we all know that ain't going to happen. Um, but it's just you know I don't know. I, it's it, it's just disgusting knowing that uh, you have the Secretary of Defense that's more worried about the uh, woke culture and directing all the uh, DoD employees and the active duty and reserves to take uh, training on how to be, you know, not to be an extremist. And, you know, I, I recently had to attend some of it myself and they turn around and they say that it's okay to be part of the young Democrats or it's okay to uh, march with black lives matter, but you're not allowed to, uh, uh, you know, show that you have patriotism and it just, it was disgusting what they had. And this is the kind of secretary of defense that we have. Uh, you then have the joint chiefs of staff, uh, the chairman, uh, Millie, um, who is more worried about, uh, you know, his books that he's talking about that he reads that it's okay. And, you know, the, the Marxism and and stuff, it's like, this guy's ridiculous. Uh, how he got into position, who who knows why he's still there. Yeah. And then we have the joint chiefs, uh, you know, quite honestly, every single one of them need to be tried for treason because this plan is so poorly done. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's almost the- as if it were by design. And I know I hate to sound like a crazy person there, but I wonder who benefits from this chaos. China. I'm plain and simple. I mean, you look at all the, the minerals and the ore that that is in Afghanistan. Um, China is all over the planet trying to gather up all these places, mineral and ore and stuff. I mean, why would you have a, a Chinese... Uh, um, we not the uh, embassy, but they had a Chinese consulate out in the middle of the nowhere in Mozambique that I saw in uh, 2010. There was no reason for it to be there except for them wanting to get a foothold in in places like Mozambique. Uh, I don't know. I just I'm, it's all speculation for me well, for no, Afghanistan. I think it's educated. It's educated speculation because I think also Afghanistan has a little finger of a port in its country that would allow China to use it as a port, which is that right? I think it is. Uh, Yeah. I'd have to double check the map. Honestly, Victoria, it's, you know, one of those things that yes, you can go and get as much ore as you want, but then you turn around, like you said, you got to be able to export it and get it to where you Mm want to go. Um, I, I have to say your logistics and you were involved in trying to get things and people and places from one point to another 
during the second uh, Battle of Fallujah. And I have to say, you would have some insight. My guess is that Barack Obama's 60th birthday party planner took more, uh, probably was a more detailed individual and considered every uh, possibility from the primary, secondary, tertiary possibilities in the event that something went wrong than General Milley and Secretary of State Blinken did for this Afghanistan withdrawal. In fact, uh, was it a withdrawal? <laughs> it was just a bug out, wasn't it? Uh, it was ditch everything, leave, and just get the hell out of the country. And everybody that you talk to, everybody that I know, uh, you know, and this isn't, you know, sitting there being an armchair quarterback. It doesn't take rocket science to realize that, okay, if we want to go ahead and withdraw from this country and say, okay, you're on your own, we've set you up with as much as we want to spend on you, that kind of stuff, um, you're going to still leave uh, contingency forces there. You're going to leave special forces on the ground to be able to go out and hit those things that they need to do and take high value targets out because those are always going to be out there and there's always going to be something happening. You're also going to leave your contingency force that's going to back up those security forces. You're going to have them there with you know your your support forces to be able to go out and do a reactionary force in case the you know the shit hit the fan and they need to have their uh, do an extraction or if they need support, medical, artillery, air, that kind of stuff. I mean, shoot, we still got people in Iraq. A uh, buddy of mine just returned from Iraq after doing a six, seven-month deployment over there. Um, but we're going to completely pull out of Afghanistan. The one that housed and let train, you know, al-Qaeda to go ahead so they can go in and attack the United States. That was our home base place where that they were at. That's where, you know, there's a guy by the name of maybe some people remember Osama bin Laden uh, that trained there. That's where he funded his freaking people at. You know, now we're allowing and it was the Taliban that allowed him to be there because he gave them money and said, just turn your back. Here's the money here. You can train. But, you know, I think we got to step back a little bit more too. also look at the 80s. Who was it? Charlie Wilson. You know, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have probably seen the movie, read the book. You know, he had the opportunity uh, when they ended up basically getting Russia out of Afghanistan, that if we had continued to spend money on the education and infrastructure of Afghanistan, and I'm not saying turn them into a, uh, a republic or a democracy or, you know, the British rule of parliament or anything like that. But have them, help, you know, their own self-rule, but help them get their infrastructure and their schools and their hospitals and everything in place. We probably wouldn't have had the Taliban come up and we wouldn't have had, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda come in. We wouldn't have had 2001 happen, September 11th. But yet people were too short-sighted and said, hey, we got the Russians out. That's all we wanted to do. Well, guess what? They're being short-sighted again, and that's the thing about the United States, and it's the thing about politicians, is that they don't have the vision to understand that people are out there that want to do harm to the United States, and they're in it for the long haul. Um, and I wish I could remember the, the Romanian general's name that wrote the book, uh, Disinformation, and talking about how the Russians were involved in their whole disinformation piece about getting the, the Islamic countries to hate the great Satan that took over, you know, three decades to do. And they were successful. Yeah, they were very successful in it. And Russia laughed the entire way and they had their satellite countries, the ones that would feed that stuff to the, to the Islamic countries. But, you know, let's fast forward back to the, you know, this whole snafu of what Biden, 
you know, he stands there and says, the buck stops here and I take responsibility for it. All right, well, one, what I'm going to say is everybody gets old at some point. And unfortunately, some people, their mind, you know, you lose your mind. Other people, like my grandma, her heart gave out, 94 years old, but still kick your ass in a game of Scrabble. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, Biden, sorry, the guy is senile. Everybody knows it. He's got some little person with their hand up his backside and telling him what to say, you know, and it's obvious in his speeches. Uh, it says here that I'm only supposed to ask questions from, hello, NBC, Nicole so-and-so. Hello, uh, uh, you know, yeah. some. I'm not supposed to take questions, so I, I need to leave now. Um, you know, then he turns around, and when, you know, the 13 servicemen and women were killed, he turns around in front of the national, you know, on, on, on TV and says, you know, my son Bo, or I mean, you know, my, my son Bo this and my son Bo that. Um, you know what? Yeah, you lost your son Bo, and everybody grieves differently. However, that wasn't your opportunity to talk about your son, Bo. To every single grieving parent, he talked. It, he just well, not, yeah. bogarted the convo and said, it talked about his son. And it was like, it, dude, he did not die in combat, A. No. B, we know that there's grief, and, and I understand that you have grief. But let the people who are grieving right now. It's their moment. It's their it's moment. It's their moment. And, you know, he did it on national television when he was sitting there saying, you know, trying to to console the country. Uh, At that moment in time, he should have read off all 13 of their names, should have said something about each one of them on national television and then turned around and walked away or then turned around, said effective immediately. I resigned because I'm a bumbling idiot. But then, Mm -hmm. like you said, then he goes to Dover. He's too busy checking his fucking watch. And I've been to Dover, you know, doing a dignified transfer of remains. And I'll be damned if I'm going to hold on and look at my watch. It was probably one of the coldest days of my life standing on that tarmac with the spouse of the Marine that was being doing the dignified transfer of the remains. I would never in a thousand years look at my freaking watch to see what time it is. At that moment in time, it doesn't matter what time it is. And this cocksucker wants to go and turn around and look at his watch several times. You know what? This guy has no freaking clue. Um, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, that he he just he's clueless because his mind is scrambled. And he has and and you can't hold that against somebody because it's it's you can't stop that kind of a thing happening. There's families out there that have relatives that have dementia and Alzheimer's. There's nothing they can do about it. But this guy, what we can do is get rid of him, move on, resign. But then, oh gosh, look who's in the rain, waiting in the freaking rains, being very quiet and making stupid mistakes in herself. But anyway, I'm just, I've been reading the articles and listening to the grieving parents and the things that they've been saying. And all it does is just brings back memories of. You were one the of those Marines. That, you were one of those Marines who went to the front door to knock, to tell a loved one that their loved one had been killed. What was that yes. like? Um, the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, I would much rather be back in combat and dealing with the, you know, the adrenaline, the, all the emotions that go with, uh, when bombs explode and, you know, rounds are going because you're training, you just, you just do. Um, when you go to knock on somebody's door on Thanksgiving day and you look down the long hallway and, what you see is a Norman Rockwell painting, except for it's real. 
um, you can see through the door window that Norman Rockwell painting where the only thing missing is the father or the mother, uh, at, you know, holding on to some child's shoulder. Um, and then you knock on the door and the father-in-law answers the door. So then you have to then ask for the spouse father-in-law doesn't understand why two Marines are sitting there in uniform wanting to speak to his stepdaughter. And then the mom sees and realizes, and then the spouse comes around the corner and instantly knows, even though she's been married to the man for two, two months, instantly knows why I'm standing there. And he was killed in Afghanistan on Thanksgiving day, 2010. Um, there's another one that I had to notify she was seven months pregnant and her husband had been killed in Afghanistan in June of 2010. Um, so yeah, I've done that. I've knocked on those doors and I still have, you know, things that wake me up. Uh, and you know, just listening to what's going on on TV today, I know what it's like to be those Marines that are knocking on the door. I know what it's like to see that pain and anguish in a parent's eyes the, the the different emotions that they're going through. I've been to Dover, Delaware, and stood on the tarmac for the dignified transfer of remains. I've been to Spokane to the uh, uh, Fairchild Air Force Base for the dignified transfer of remains. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's things that this affects for everybody, and it's you're prepared as a Marine, you know, in combat and you expect that your leadership is going to do the best that they can to make sure that you're taken care of and that your training is going to get you through. But in this case of those 13, um, this is a complete something that should never have even happened. It should not have happened. No way in hell if it had been planned appropriately instead of just because he's the president and he said, everybody will be out August 31st. Um, yeah. Did, did you got, notice? Uh, did, did you notice when he came out when when we got out, August thirtieth? Now, yeah. I'm sure he's going to take that to the bank and say this was a huge victory. But it was a day sooner. He did today, Victoria. He did. Yeah. He, he, on national television, he said it was a great success. Uh, you know, I'd like to know what kind of drugs he's on. A success? What's your measure of success? You asked White. How do people get to the airport to make an August thirty first departure? If he's leaving August 30th. Well, you can't. And then you've got the translator as an example. The translator that was there that helped, you know, when his helicopter had to make an emergency landing back in, what, 2008? That guy showed up to the gates with his family, and they said, yeah, you can come in, but your family can't. And so he had to go back. But Afghanistan's not a small country. You know, you have... Uh, there's multiple airports. You got Kandahar, you got Kabul. You know, there's other airports within Afghanistan. Just like that uh, former Navy SEAL said, you know, when he said, hello, his name, and this is the following things that I'm going to do. Yes. Um, Jocko. He, just like he said, you're going to go and take over the freaking airports. You're going to secure it so that way more people all over the country can get in because not everybody can make it to that one air, single airport that you're saying, hey, this is where we're going to do our evacuation at. Well, guess what? Now you got a choke point and you got all these freaking guys with cane sticks beating the crap out of people as they walk up because, oh, you want to leave this country? Well, I'm going to get my licks in before you go. 
You've got them going and hanging people for no reason. Well, they feel they have a reason, but there's no reason to go and hang somebody because, you know, you're pissed off at them like that. Um, you know, shooting a guy that plays folk music because there's no music. Um, anyway, just the Taliban and the way that they're going to be treating women, they're already doing it. There's reports that they're already grabbing young girls to be sex slaves. You know, they've moved up from being goat fuckers, which, quite honestly, they've got them on freaking video. You, you can see it anywhere, you know, yeah. YouTube, and you can see the uh, uh, the those videos where they've got them on the IR watching them take turns. So it just... <sighs> Anyway, it, it's so frustrating. And, and it's, what about and the little it, boys? The little boys, those, uh, what do they oh, call yeah. them? Little dancing boys. boys? Yeah. Yeah, little chai boys, yep. Um, yep. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, you probably heard this story, who is mm-hmm. an infantry commander uh, based at Fort Lejeune for his latest, his latest job, said in, in a video that uh, he wondered why no one had bothered to put down their stars and resign over this obviously stupid plan. And of course he was immediately relieved of command as predictable. And in addition, he was forced to quit. Um, Obviously you want discipline in the ranks and I don't think he was surprised whatsoever that this happened to him. But what was your response when you heard him? Uh, The first, the first video that I, that I watched, um, I knew instantly, okay, the guy's going to get relieved, plain and simple, and he knew it too. And you know this going in, that there's certain things you can and can't say when you're on active duty. And uh, it's kind of convenient the Navy put out a memo stating that uh, right after this that you're not supposed to disparage, uh, you know, the president, the vice president, blah, 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 blah. It's okay if you disparage the shit out of uh, President Trump, but, you know, don't do it to President Biden and all those. Yeah, I noticed that um, one okay. You know, you can put on yeah. Twitter all the, all you want about how much you hate President Trump and in uniform. And, yes. uh, yeah, Biden, he's yeah. he's uh, he's, uh, he's off limits. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, as far as the, the former uh, uh, advanced infantry training uh, uh, commanding officer, um, you know, he was spot on in what he was saying. He said everything that that uh, uh, former and active duty Marines, you know, would say or have said. Uh, in private conversations, but not on a uh, social media platform. Um, and, you know, and he understood going in that as soon as he said it and posted it on uh, YouTube or whatever it was, Twitter, that he posted it on, um, he was done. And sure enough, the next day he got called in. And he was told by his, uh, you know, commanding officer the uh, uh, at Camp Lejeune there at the uh, Infantry Training Regiment, hey, you're done, you're relieved. So then... Uh, Okay, got it. And, you know, so he's going to resign. Well, we're going to leave it there, Mike Rosen, our man in Fallujah. Thank you for coming on the Adult in the Room podcast. You've given a lot of people a lot of food for thought. My best to you and Semper Fi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. 
Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.